want you to turn to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter 10, a familiar passage of scriptures that a lot of people don't feel comfortable reading, but it's there. And let me read it and then we'll get to it in a moment. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, the title of the message tonight is Help, I Want to Keep My Faith. We'll think, Help, Lord, I Want to Keep My Faith. Last week was Help, Lord, I Want to Believe. And if you've been around any Christian body of believers very long, where a premium is put on faith and trusting God like God puts a premium on it, you become aware of your need for faith. And that's why the title last week was, Lord, I want to believe. Now, nothing happens, I said last week, nothing will happen in your life until you do believe. Your best intentions, your memorization of scripture, your reading and studying a lot, becoming an academic theologian and intellectual and all, you can do all of that you want to, that never replaces or qualifies as faith. It is a good basis for faith. Obviously, that much knowledge would expand your possibility for faith greatly. But faith is an act. It is taking God at his word. It is counting on God to do what he said. Not many people do this. They simply acknowledge with their mind that God can and that he is able, and I wish he would and I hope he does, but I'm not convinced he will. Therefore, they don't act like he will. They talk like he will. They sing like he has, but they're not convinced that he will. So our message is, Lord, help. I want to believe. We looked at Luke 6 last week, and there were three things that we said at the end of that. Jesus said, number one, in order to have the kind of faith that God wants us to have, we have to be influenced by God to get it. Jesus said, he that cometh to me and heareth my words. Not some system of man, not some great, well-spoken-of church, not some gifted author or writer or some Christian philosopher. He said, he that comes to me, Jesus, he that comes to me, I'm the author, he said, and the perfecter or the finisher of your faith. You can't get it anywhere else. You can have faith in man, but God never honors that in your life. You may feel good about it, but it produces nothing. But Jesus said, he that comes to me and hears my sayings. In other words, you gotta be influenced and stirred to action by what he said. But nobody can make you come to the Lord. You've gotta want to. This word will not just plop in your heart because you're in a church building. You have to want it. You have to come with the intention of getting something, and I'm not going to leave until I get it. And then the second thing that we said has to happen, it has to produce conviction. The reason a lot of people don't act like the word is true is that they're not convinced that it'll work for them. Or we call it convinced means conviction. It's also used as persuasion. Remember, Paul said, I am persuaded. You could say, like, I am convinced, or I am sure that God will do what he said, therefore, and then he tells what he will do. But if you're not convicted, 
It means the word has basically gone in, entertained your thinking and your mind, but produced nothing in your heart that drives you to action. Because the third thing Jesus said you must do, after he said, you come to me and you hear my voice, he said, and he doeth them. Here's my words, and then he doeth them. Again, if faith is not an act, if it's not a response to God, it's not faith at all. It may be good intentions. It may have come from a sincere person, but it's not faith no matter how sincere any of us are. It's not faith until it's a response to what God has said, a response that is made because you are convinced that if he said it, he'll do it for you, not that he might or that he could, but that he will. Faith is not hoping it works. Faith is believing that when you pray, you have what you ask for. That's Mark eleven twenty four. When you pray, believe. Lord, help me to believe. Believe you have what you've asked for. And if you believe you have it, you'll get it. But if you're trying to get it by constantly praying for it, it doesn't work that way. In the kingdom of God, there's loads of church members who don't understand that. But that's the way it works, and you should understand it. Now, tonight, Lord... Help, I want to keep my faith. Now, why would we say I want to keep my faith? Because the Bible has a lot of examples of people not continuing in faith. They started well. They learned the basic principles of faith, how it operates. They learned to confess that it's so. They learned to act like the word is true. They had some struggles, and they overcame them, and they did well, and they won a few battles. They talked well, they sang well, regular in attendance, exuberant and witnessing, and, and just the kind of person that is a good testimony to the kingdom of God. But alas, somewhere down the line, they, for whatever reason, maybe it was something that happened, an accident, a failure somewhere, an unanswered prayer, something was kind of overwhelming influence just happens and there you are wondering what's the use of me doing it he won't answer my prayer he won't respond to me and so you begin to give up you don't want that to happen to you you want to keep your faith because the bible does show us that if you don't it can get away from you look at hebrews 10 again verse 38 now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back. Now, that's a choice that somebody has to make, is it not? If you draw back, it's because you made a decision to draw back. And the word draw back means to cower, to shrink, to just give in. You come back. It just means that you're not going on anymore. Now, it doesn't say why. It just means that if you're right with God, if you're just, if you have a good relationship with God, a proper relationship with the Lord, it'll be evidenced by the fact that you live like what he said is true. Now, if you draw back from that, that's a narrow line, folks. If you draw back from that, which means you can, Lord, help me not to do that. It's our message. God says, my soul will have no pleasure in you. Because you see, you don't just draw back to a loss of rewards some people still believe that if you come to the Lord, that absolutely nothing is essential after that for you to do. As long as you had good intentions, you raised your hand, and you're going to heaven no matter what you do, because if you have to do anything, then it's works. A lot of people believe that, well-meaning people. 
But the fact of it is that while we're not saved by works, we're not saved without them either because it's works that magnify what you believe. And if you draw back, then you believe, for some reason, you believe there's no further need to keep going on. I was thinking today about so many people I have known in my past, back in the glory days when this thing all began with Bonnie and I, how many people we met that were so excited. And now I look back 40 years later, 35 years later, I still know a few of them. I know hardly nobody that has stayed with what they started with. I know very few people that have stayed with what they started with because along the way of their life, along the journey that they have chosen to take, they have been turned this way and turned that way, and not all the way off, but just very a little bit, just very a little bit here and very a little bit there, and they don't realize that there's no more joy than enthusiasm. Memory of you, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I've heard it, but we're not living it today. See, this is the danger that can happen in Shelbyville Christian Assembly to any of us. But we can never think that just because we got a hold of this one time and what a wonderful influence this has had in our life that it's going to stay just because you had it. There is a real devil out there who walks and goes about doing whatever he can to talk you out of your faith. Because one thing the devil fears in a Christian's life is a Christian having faith. Because faith is how you activate the word. Nothing else does it. Nothing else does. Be it unto you according to your faith. And so the devil knows that if you get a hold of this, he'll lose his grip on your life and you'll begin to enjoy your life on God's terms. And you'll influence a lot of other people. Or you begin to draw aside and other people will influence you. And instead of being the kind of person who testifies of the goodness and the grace of God, you become quiet and sort of unassuming and just riding this thing out. My prayer is, Lord, help me keep the faith. Help me keep on believing and not turn back. Because he said, if any man draw back, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. I want to join Paul in my lifetime. I'm probably going to be here when the Lord comes. So you might be stuck with me. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, I want to be able to say with him what he said. Paul said, I have been engaged in a war. I have fought a good fight. He's talking about his life, not an event but his whole day after day, year after year, month after month, hot, cold, fastings and plenty and shipwreck and difficulties and beaten and and hurt and ostracized and maligned. He said, I have fought a good fight. None of those things that happened to me in my life could turn me away from the path that God put me on. None of it. I fought a good fight and I have what? I have kept the faith, which means, or is implied there, and as he says in verse 7, henceforth, verse 8, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but those in Shelbyville Christian Assembly who love his appearing. But those who love his appearing are keenly interested in him. 
keenly interested in what he has said because that's the only thing you have from him that he has set himself as a watch over to perform. Remember that? God said he will watch over his word to perform it. That's all we have. We have nothing else. We have no clever designs or inventions. We have no escape routes. We have no other source that can replace this or nothing else can substitute for this. All we have and the only thing we have is Jesus and his word. And yet the testimony of those who have received that and accepted that and walked that way, whose faith was in all of that, is absolutely marvelous. Bonnie and I were talking today that how blessed we have been all these years because a long time ago when we first stepped into the door of the kingdom, God presented us with the message that I'm talking about tonight. It just kept coming in waves and it just kept coming and never was old. I never had to say, man, I've heard that. Don't you have anything else to say? God just kept feeding simple minds a simple message. He just kept telling us over and over again what he would do because we didn't have a chance to forget it because we kept looking for it. And he kept telling us about it. And it became rooted. We'll get to that in a minute. It became rooted on the inside of us. It began to take its effect on our lives. And the reasons that other people would fall apart and the things that would cause families or marriages or people to just shake, rattle, and roll and fall apart, they came to us, but they never worked for us. They never conquered us. Because a long time ago, God was showing us how to make application of this word by just believing it. Just believing it. Are you still in 2 Timothy 4? Look at verse 3 and 4. See, the time will come. Lord, help me to keep my faith. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, sound doctrine, but after their own lust, that's today, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and here's what they do, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Your Bible said that? Now, how tragic is that? It's tragic when you turn aside from the word because it's too hard, it's too narrow, that's too legalistic, I can't handle that, I'm not ready for that. And so you'd look for something, and the moment you start talking that way, you can be sure that there is somebody lying in wait, getting ready to spring into action to offer you another way, but not the right way. And when you do, you come into something which you feel good about it and you kind of enjoy, you really get behind it, you promote it, you're good in attendance and you never get to that faith thing. Oh, you never get quite to the place that you are sure that God will do what he said. You're only taught that he has done that and that he can do that. And for you, that's faith, but that's not faith because God isn't going to honor the distortion of his word. Are you with me? God is not going to honor something that isn't what he said. You may feel good about it, but God won't honor it. And the moment he quits honoring your prayers and answering your prayers and doing this other way you've learned to ask for things, the moment you start doing it that way, nothing begins to happen. And then you change your theology to fit your experience, and you begin to say, well, we should just pray if it be thy will, because obviously he doesn't want to. 
Well, I prayed, I asked him to, and I even acted it out for a while, but it didn't work. So therefore, I'm assuming that God doesn't always do what the word says. That we ought to humble ourselves and just say, Lord, if it be thy will. Have they come to that kind of philosophy, that kind of an understanding, which is a deviant philosophy, and it's ruining lives, and people feel good about their common sense approach to the word, but they never get anything from it because God does not watch over man's word to perform it. He only watches over this book, and this is the only word that we have. It's all we got. It's the only thing that God watches over to perform. Now, if you turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 19, notice this, because we talked about the conscience last week. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made what? Shipwreck. I can assure you this, that anybody who lives by the sea, on the sea, makes his living from the fruit of the sea, a man who has a boat, the mariner, and who whatever, the loss of a boat is a terrible loss because you can't really fix just a tore-up boat. You got to buy another one or have a new one made. It's a tragic loss. I think this, in the spiritual sense, if we have an opportunity to walk by faith, the opportunity is given to us to get a hold of it, to learn it, there's no war in America. We have peace. We got time. If you got time to play with those ignorant video games, you've got time to read the Word. Ignorant is exactly what I meant. But anyway, if you got time for all of that kind of worldly wise foolishness, then you have time to get in the Word. Now, if you don't want to, again, it goes back to a choice. It's a choice you made. I'm not that interested in it. But the point of it is, you're going to need your faith. You're going to need God to honor your choices and your decisions. You're going to need God to guide your steps. You need to order your life by what he said, and when you begin living that way, you're going to run into things in which you're going to need God to perform for you a way of escape because you're headed for all the trouble the world can throw at you, the devil hates you, and whatever he can do to misguide you, he is, and you're going to need all that God has. Now, if you don't take time to get it, and you let it slide because of distractions and you're busy, you're busy growing up and, and having fun. If you don't take an opportunity, then one day it might pass you by. Doesn't the Bible say something about the word slipping? Well, to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard less at any time they slip. Doesn't it say that? See, everybody has to make that choice also. But he said here, holding faith and a good conscience. Now remember this. Your conscience does not make the law. Your conscience is not a Bible. Your conscience simply, like a judge inside of you, it passes judgment on what you say, do, or think based on what you have given it as a standard. If you're without any teaching, it may not bother you to be rude in behavior because you don't know any better. I run into those people all the time. How many of you know that when you're taught that you should do certain things, maybe hold a door for people, get up and give a, a lady your seat? How many of you know that when you know you should do that, that forms your conscience? 
And if you don't do that when you should, what happens to your heart? See, it's part of faith. This all goes back to faith. Because faith is an act. It's something you do. And he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to that person, it's a violation of what is right. And you can't argue with your conscience. Your conscience won't even tolerate your arguments. Your conscience always knows what you're thinking. Your motivations, your desires, that second look. We talked about at the men's meeting the other night about the problems with flesh and the design of the devil to take a woman's body and make something unclean in a man's mind. He has to fight that the rest of the day because of the way she was dressed or the way she was acting. Because if you look once, it's shame on her. If you look twice, it's shame on you. And so, you know, you look again and your conscience says, "Uh uh-huh, you know what you're thinking? Oh, no, I'm not thinking it. Yes, you were too. You can't argue with something on the inside of you that is pure and clean. That is your conscience. It may not be right because it may not have any good input. How many of you know if you learn the truth, the truth becomes your conscience? Now, you may have heard it and didn't learn it, but if you're listening and paying attention, then what God is saying becomes the words that your conscience will use to pass judgment on all your actions and your deeds. Now, think of this. A man whose faith is hypocritical, artificial, or play-acting, his conscience bears witness to what? You're a fraud. He knows that you don't know that he's a fraud, so you play this game. And you know you don't mean what you're saying. You know you didn't mean the way you said that. You don't practice what you preach, and you meant that to get money. Your conscience doesn't leave you alone when you're not right, except when your conscience becomes seared. Your conscience becomes seared. It's just about like God has given you up to your vile affections. And you go through life sinning and being ugly and deceiving and being deceived. It's terrible. But your conscience is that part of you that brings honesty into your faith. You can say you believe things all the time. Your conscience might say, no, you don't. You're not even sure to work. In fact, you're scared to death right now. The only reason you're doing this is because you know if you don't, so-and-so-and-so-and-so is going to talk about you, and they're going to point their finger at you. So you're just acting this way and talking this way to appease them. You don't even really believe this. Now, you reckon that's ever happened? But a man who has a pure and a good conscience, we'll see this later, man who has a good conscience and clean, he's not trying to impress people. Again, he comes to the Lord, not you. It's not you I'm trying to impress. I want him who sees my heart, who knows the thoughts and the intentions and all the motivations of my heart. He knows. God himself knows if the faith I say I have is really right or not. I'm saying the right words, but God knows whether or not you're convinced that that's going to happen. A lot of people are hoping it happens, but they're not really sure it happens. Let me say again, I think one of the problems that people struggle with faith so much is because they don't begin their faith journey convinced that God's going to do this. Well, I mean, you know, we did it for so-and-so, and the great teacher, the great instructor said, this is what you should do. Well, I'm going to do it because of him. Well, then your faith is based on his experience and not what God is showing you. And it doesn't work well. And a lot of people, again, I look back nearly 40 years, and most everybody has already been discouraged. They quit, divorced their wives, went back to the world, or fell away. 
How could a message as rich as this one is be so easily put aside? Lord, I say, help, I want to keep my faith. I want to keep my faith. Number one, in keeping your faith tonight. You give you four things. If I can get to them, if I don't, you know what we'll do. We'll get them next time. Number one, if you want to keep your faith, guard your heart. Guard your heart. When I say guard your heart, I'm talking about Proverbs 4, verse 23, where the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence. That's what you do. Nobody does this for you. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of the heart proceed the issues of life. Now, we read that and go on. Let me just take time to get you to savor that just a moment. Just for a moment. Guard your heart. What do we mean by the heart? Well, it's the seat of a man's affections. It's where you are depressed. It's where you are angry. It's where you are deceitful. It's where you are grieved. It's where you believe. It's where you believe not. You can have an evil heart of unbelief or with the heart man believes or the heart, Jeremiah says, is deceitful. It's a hiding place. It's a secret place in your life. Thy word have I hid in my heart. I am known by what is in my heart. A good man, Matthew 12 says, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Good things are in my heart because I wanted them there. Evil things are in my heart because I allowed them in there. But what's in my heart is going to control me. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you're talking to somebody and you hear what they talk and how they talk about it, that's in their heart. They've listened to something that they accepted, and that acceptance was put in their heart. And many times that roots out the word. Because this is a worldly wise person. This is what everybody will accept. So you talk like that. Because that's in your heart. You don't find a lot of people who guard their hearts. But he said, you're to guard like a guard at a jail. Somebody who is watching over your heart. We don't want it to become an evil heart of unbelief. I don't want a deceitful heart. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want my heart to mislead me. I don't want this natural whatever. I want something in here in my heart that is greater than I am and greater than my past. I want something in here that will lead me to glory. I want clean hands and a pure heart. That's possible. It's offered. I want that. Because it's with the pure heart that God begins to do a pure work and a clean work. And that's where peace and joy comes from when God begins to do all of these kind of things. But he said, keep your heart with all diligence. You don't do it once, you keep doing it. You listen to your conscience. I hope you do. And sometimes your conscience betrays your good intentions because you know you really don't believe that. You know you're trying to impress somebody. You're trying to impress a girl, trying to impress a guy, trying to impress a church because your conscience tells you you're a fraud. But you want to have an honest and a pure heart so that you're diligently keeping yourself clean before God, admitting your wrongs. God humbles you. He doesn't want you to make out of yourself some great one. He's the great one. 
And so the heart is humbled before God and you begin to lower yourself in his sight. And his word you hide in your heart. And the reason you hide his word in your heart is so you won't sin against him. Now he said, keep your heart with all diligence for out of your heart are the very issues of life and how you fare, how it's gonna turn out for you in life, how you're gonna to cope tomorrow, how you're gonna become, whatever it is. It's all an issue of the heart because there's only one place the Bible says that we hide the word of God. There's only one dwelling place of God's word and that's in the heart. Now if the heart won't receive the word, then whatever you are, the issues of your life doesn't come from heaven, doesn't come from the Lord. You might be a nice person, a good person, a kind, gentle soul, and you may do a lot of good for a lot of folks. But God wants us to be the kind of people that have clean hands and a pure heart. Look in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. Let me say this about that. The purpose of the word. Now here it's called the commandment. Let's just take what he meant by the commandment and make it into be that which God is speaking to us. Is that okay? If you don't accept that, you don't have to. But the end of the commandment, that is what the commandment produces, the end of it, the end results, what it brings us to. The end of the commandment is this. Love out of a pure heart. Love that is not play-acted. It's not like faith unfeigned. The word unfeigned is without guile. No hypocrisy. It's genuine. Love out of a pure heart. When somebody has a pure heart and say that I love you, it means that they love you. But this is what the word of God will produce in us. It'll take us away from the old days of vengeance and hate and getting even. It'll take us to a place of love and resting our case with God and letting him take care of things. And the second thing he said is a good conscience. Because how could you genuinely love anybody if in your heart, you didn't mean it. The heart has to be honest. It has to be honest. A good conscience is what happens when you're a believer. I'm not going to act like I'm believing something that I'm not. My conscience smites me. I want to act genuinely with purpose. I want to be focused on the Lord in such a way that my desire in life is to please him. That would qualify as love. If a man loves me, he will keep my commandments. He'll love his brother. Those are the two greatest commandments. To love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. On these, all the law and the prophets hang. That's Romans 13. So love is a great commandment. Has great power and great effect. A good conscience. How could I even have faith in God without a good conscience? Because he ends here with faith unfeigned. We say a lot of things to a lot of people about what we believe. I trust that in every case, our conscience makes it real. I do believe that. And if you're not sure what you believe, don't talk so much. How many of you know it's not wrong not to talk a lot? It's not a bad thing not to be talking all the time. 
But it's a good thing to listen and to meditate and to think and to ponder what you're going to say, what you're about to say, if you really believe it or not. These are things that God produces in us for those of us who receive his word and want to do things his way. Turn to 1 John. You need to see this one too. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20. I could talk about conscience for another week because it is so applicable in our life and is such a reason that a lot of people who are insincere aren't getting any spiritual activity in their life. No answer to prayer, no inspiration from God because their conscience is seared. They're not honest. They're playing a game and they're trying to convince people that they really believe all this, but God sees the heart. You're wasting your time. First John chapter 3 and verse 24, if our heart condemn us, and could it? Yes. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. What does it mean when it says that God is greater? He is able not only to know and let you know that he knows you're wrong, but he is also able, one, to change you, and secondly, to grant repentance so that you can turn away from it. If our heart condemns us, it means that there's something wrong between God and I, and only God can fix it. And when he does, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God, and here comes faith. And then whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Do you see the connection between a good conscience and faith? If our heart condemns us, if we know that we're not being honest with ourselves about something, God is greater than that. He knows what's going on here. He can fix that. But if our heart condemns us not, look at the liberty that we have spiritually. If our heart condemns us not, whatever we ask, we receive. Whatever we ask, we receive. I'm not trying to get it. I'm just convinced I'm going to get it. Let me give you another little lesson on conscience. Turn to John chapter 8. I'll just throw this in for nothing. This is free. John chapter 8. Conscience. This is the way it ought to work. This is when we're honest. Of course, these guys got caught, but when you're honest, this is the way it should work. John chapter 8, they had caught a woman in adultery. They brought her to Jesus and said, the Bible says, or the law says, what do you say? And Jesus kept writing on the ground, and they said, what do you say? And I added that. Jesus said in verse 7, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Now, if you'd been in that crowd, you didn't like this woman anyway, and you had a couple of really good rocks you've been saving for a good occasion like this, you're going to drill her headpiece with these rocks. And Jesus said that. If you're without sin, throw the first stone. Clunk, clunk. Why would you drop your rocks on the ground? Look at the next verse. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the elders and went down to the bottom. Why? Why didn't they throw their rocks? Was the lady wrong? Has she been wrong? Were they right in saying the law says they were? All that was right. Then why didn't they stone her? Because the words of Jesus 
had the effect on them, but in a degree and in a way it should have on all of us. Being convicted by their own conscience. Wouldn't it be nice if your conscience gave you liberty and you weren't convicted that you don't believe or you're not wrong about something? You know, you know you're getting along at home, you're paying your bills, and you're loving people, and you're kind-hearted, and, and you're nice to your wife and your husband. Wouldn't it be nice if, like Paul said, I've lived in all good conscience before God up to this day? They like to beat that man to death after he said that. They slapped him. Because as far as they know, nobody can say I've lived good before God. We're all a bunch of sinners. You hear it all the time in church. We're all a bunch of sinners. We can't do right. There's no way we can live this life. And somebody say, I've lived in all good conscience before God to this day. Well, I'll beat him up. But he could say that. You could beat that man to pieces and throw him in a jail cell, and he'll start singing hymns while he's bleeding. You could speak vile things against him, and he'd just go to the next town and start all over again. Something in him was greater than something outside of him. He wasn't trying to get even with people. He didn't want to beat anybody up. He didn't want to prove he was right and everybody else is wrong. One time he did in 2 Corinthians 10, he said, I'm speaking as a fool. Because no man should boast of anything he's done. His conscience was clear. I would to God all of our consciences were clear about everything in our lives. Our motivations, our aspirations, what we're doing, how we're doing it, what we say, how we dress. I pray that everybody can look in the mirror, boys and girls, but mostly girls today because that's just where the problem is with a lot of men. I wish all girls could look in a mirror and have a good conscience about Christian appearance. I do. So that I'm not violating anything in my heart. Some people said, oh, we don't care what you look like. Yeah, you do. If a man came in here wanting to preach wearing a Speedo, you wouldn't like it at all. And you know you wouldn't. And if a girl got up to testify in a bikini, you'd have to be saying, somebody ought to talk to her. Well, at what point do you not talk? Well, he's speedo with a T-shirt on. <laughs> well, no, uh, a speedo with a pair of cutoffs and flip-flops. No, that's not how we come before the Lord. It's you and your conscience. How would God want you to do this? And you know what? I've never heard anybody in our faith camp except those teaching in a series ever talk about Romans 14. I don't think I ever have. In fact, a so-called faith teacher once said he had never taught that chapter. He didn't think he could. But he said, let every man be convinced in his own mind. As we're growing, some people aren't where others are, and you've got to give them room to get there. But if a man's conscience says, I can't eat meat, I just can't eat pork, well... The Bible says he's weak, but that's his beliefs. That's what governs his life. He hadn't been enlightened yet on the inside to know better. So where he is, that's where he lives. And the Bible says God accepts that. We don't, but God does. Now, our conscience, again, I'll get away from the subject right there. We'll get, get finished. Our conscience is one of those messages has been only mentioned through the years, but it seems to coming right now at this time, it, it seems to me to be coming bigger and bigger in the picture of how faith works. Because if I'm approaching God, if I'm claiming a new car, or a new house, a new pair of expensive shoes, and I say, Lord, I want that, and my heart, it races around like a computer. Yuck. See if there's anything, any reason why I shouldn't get it or anything, any reason why I shouldn't ask for something like that. How I many of you know I'm free to ask for that? 
or free to drive one of them. I have no problem doing that. When my conscience is clear, I'm ready to go. We all want this. We all want to know that whatever we ask, we shall receive because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight and to know that your conscience bears witness to that, that you really are. You really are living like that. Number two, if you want to hold on to your faith, number two, you got to feed your faith. Second Timothy 2 talks about faith groweth exceedingly. Faith is a fruit along with a gift and a work and a law and other things, but faith is also a fruit, which means it grows. It may come small, but it gets larger. When people pray for more faith, it's not more faith you need. It's just for the faith you have to be strengthened, to be more able to grasp and maintain and hold fast and launch out than it was before. But faith gets that way because you feed it. You feed your faith. The only faith food I can think of is the one that the verse in the Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by whatever brother Hamilton says. That's how you get your faith. Now say no. Thank you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I don't preach the word, there's no basis for faith here. If I fracture the word and take some of the meaning out of it in order to make it more comfortable for you to hear, faith doesn't come from that word either. That's a distorted word, and you're going to get some kind of distorted faith. God isn't going to honor that. I said that a while ago. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. I think that all of us, when we come in this room, come in this building twice a week, we should come in here, first of all, praying that I personally, you can do this. Let's somebody tell me how long this takes. Who has a watch and they can watch? When I say start, I want you to get this. Okay, time me. Father, I pray tonight as I go to church that in Jesus' name you will enlighten my understanding. Amen. How long did that take? Five-second miracle. I pray, Lord, that when I go to church tonight that you will give me understanding of your word. I don't want to just hear it and see how many scriptures he's going to quote, how many pages we're going to turn to. This is not a task. This is not a labor of dread. It's a labor of love. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name before I come out here tonight that the word will be clear so that they can understand it. Not heady and difficult, but just a simple, plain word. In my lifetime, that's one thing I've always wanted is just to make it simple. Somebody said about me one time, said, well, he's not very deep. And I said, well, you know, it's deep enough. There's deeper people. And you can bypass the little ramuses like me and go to the deep ones if you want to. Everybody likes smart people. I have met a lot of smart people and intelligent people in my life, and every one of them was dumber than a coal bucket. Because <laughs> they didn't know anything about God. They've added to their repertoire. That's French to the repertoire of knowledge, 
how they know so much about this and about that. They've added a few details about God and the Bible and which enables them to have a comment about religion when it comes up and act like they know something about that too. But none of them that I've met, that I've heard of, none of them are saved. None of them could afford to be saved. They know very little about God and truth. But they're smart, not really. Didn't Romans say this, thinking themselves to be wise, they became fools? For the fool eliminates God from the equation because he doesn't need God. He only needs enough knowledge of God to act like he knows something about God, but he has no intention of letting his life be ruled by God. So a man prays for he comes to church four and a half seconds. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding tonight of your word in Jesus' name. I wonder if we ever take time to pray like that. Sitting in the parking lot before you get in here, at home before you leave, uh, driving here from work if you do that. I wonder if it ever occurs to us to think, I'm coming tonight to a scheduled, a called assembly. And in this assembly tonight, we're going to hear somebody talk. They talk forever, but we're going to hear a long sermon tonight. And they're going to just keep on, keep on. I pray, Lord, that you will give me understanding about what is said. I want that Psalm 119, 169. I want to understand what your word is about. Another thing about this, I'm going to pray for the messenger. That would be nice. You got your watch on back there, my timer? Are you ready? All right, get ready. Go, and Lord, I ask you to bless Brother Tom tonight as he preaches the word, okay? Three seconds? Seven seconds, man, we're making a whole lot of headway here tonight. Now, you would probably add a little more to it than that. All I'm saying is the amount of time that we could pray for our greatest need, we hardly ever mention it before the Lord. I can't think of when ever from years and years, but since we've been in this building, that I haven't come out of my office and laid my hands on that wall and asked for the anointing. And sometimes it seems like it isn't there, and I wonder if there's any anointing on people's hearts who don't really care if they hear it or not. They're just here because they're supposed to be here, so, but it's very hard to preach something. It's very hard to dispense something that is heavenly and divine if somebody doesn't want it. And again, I don't remember where you're at with the old days, but there was a time when you had to put a clock up here to keep yourself from preaching too long because people drew it out of you. God is going to feed his people. When they're hungry and they want it, you're going to give it to them. You're going to say a lot of things you didn't plan on saying. You're going to really put a lot of gusto in things because they draw it out of you. You can ask any minister this, and most of them will probably, I think most of them would. But I wonder how many times we don't pray for the messenger who's going to bring the message for the enlightenment of the Spirit upon him so that he can put that into words that I can understand. So that when I come tonight, I can have a time with the Lord in which I am far better off leaving this place than I was before I got here because the Lord showed me something. One of those, it is new every morning. We should do that because if we're going to feed ourselves on the word, we've got to have the word. I don't want a storyteller. I want to hear the word. You may tell a story to emphasize the word. That would be fine. But I want to understand it. Faith comes by hearing. If we don't study the word, if we don't preach the word, 
If I did like a lot of ministers, how long are they preaching in the big churches, Joe? 20, how many? 21 minutes. What an easy, we'll talk about easy. 21 minutes a week. Man, I could tell them who I am, where I was born, what year I got saved, and I'm done. Take me 21 minutes to do that. Where's the emphasis up on the hunger and the need in people's hearts? Let me ask you all a question. Do you have a spiritual need to understand what God has to say? Do you personally have a need tonight to understand what God is saying to us? Does your conscience bear witness with that? Then remind yourself before you come the next time that God make me to hear the word tonight, cause him to preach the word and to be clear with it so I can understand it and so it'll benefit me because the entrance of thy words give light and thy word is a light unto my path. It is a lamp unto my feet. Man lives by the word. Moses said in Deuteronomy 32, he said the word is life. This is what we go by. This is what we base everything on. This is what God keeps. This is why the other point, we hide this word in our heart because this is the one thing that God will draw out of us and use for us to put us over and make it the way we should be. It is our life. So we should pray that we will hear it and that God will show it to us and so forth. Another thing about feeding your faith, avoid negative stuff. Your ear is also a mouth. This is what you eat with. You eat with your ears. When you hear things, those things go to your heart also. When I listen to political talk shows, at the end of one of their tirades, they're telling me who I should be suspicious of, who I'm against, and I find myself in a bad conversation somewhere with somebody. I'll tell you one thing. We shouldn't be negative like that. We shouldn't be. I don't want to hear people talk about sickness. I don't want to hear about procedures. I don't want to know the latest name for a drug. I really, and honestly, before God, I don't want to hear that. When they talk about that stuff on the radio, if I can get my finger on it, I turn it off. I don't want to hear about men problems, women problems, mind problems, heart problems, lung problems, HEPAR problems, liver problems. I don't want to hear about any of that. I really don't because I already have an answer for it. Let me say it again. I already have an answer for that. I don't need to entertain in my thought about the warning signs of Scopias. <laughs> Whatever. I don't want to know because once I hear that, one of those signals are strange hunger. I'm thinking donuts right away. <laughs> I'm thinking donuts with sprinkles on them like kids eat. Oh, my, that's a strange well, You know, that's what they said. Really, you, got the, you know, you got a thing. Somebody the other day said, you don't sound good. And I'm thinking, I am gone. You all right? I said, I've never been better in my whole life. I'm one day closer to God. <laughs> well, they don't ask any more questions. That's the end of that. All I'm saying is that you're going to feed your faith. You're going to have to come wanting it. You're going to have to come praying to get it. You're going to have to believe God is going to come because the basis for faith is what's going on right now. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One more, and we'll save the last one for next week. Number three, 
you got to be discerning. You want to keep your faith, you better be discerning. Turn to Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. One thing has happened, and another thing must follow. You have received Christ, now you must follow him. Verse 7. Rooted, we mentioned that a while ago, remember? Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, because teaching is what we should be doing. That's how all of this sequence of things comes to pass. You're being taught. And we should therefore abound in there with thanksgiving. That's the way it should be. Now, the next word in the next verse, verse eight is beware. We're gonna go into discerning here. We should be discerning because here's a warning. This is where we begin to evaluate ourselves and examine ourselves and take stock in our own lives about this. Beware, lest any man spoil you. Barnes in his commentary says, any man rob you of your faith. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Now, rudiments is the elementary things rudimentary proceedings, the basic fundamental groundwork of something. The rudiments of the world is the ways of the world as they're brought to us. And the men who are spoken of here are men who mix and mingle the world's way, the popular notions and ideas that people have. They mingle that and mix that with the word and try to make the word something that it's not. The word doesn't need anything added to it or the heady philosophers of our day. They tell us it's good that the Bible is challenged. It makes the Bible better. It helps us to get rid of false ideas and myths that are propagated in Bible stories. You think, what are you talking about? Well, you know, Moses and the 40 days on two different occasions, no water, no food. That's not possible. And then there's the Red Sea and then the Noah's Ark and Jericho. I mean. The earth is 7,000 years old. We're talking about how long it takes light to go from one place to another, and you're telling me the earth is 7,000 years old? And you got light years, the Bible speaks of light years and millions and billions of this, and the National Geographic tells us that the earth is several million billion years old. And so higher scholarship, the philosophers say, to those who like to indulge in heady stuff, these heady people prey on that. Well, now, you know, it's nice to read the Bible stories. It gives us a good picture of what people in an earlier ancient time believed, and it helped them to, you know, God was a miracle-working God. But, you know, we have learned through archaeological studies and excavations and through some research and things that have happened. And what was that movie that came out long ago that they were trying to decode the Bible? The Da Vinci Code. And see, this was good for us because it begins to give us a different perspective of truth and begins to eliminate the myths. You know what? The next thing you know, these people that listen to that type of thing come to a place in their life they don't have a clue what to believe. They no longer can pick up the Bible and read it because they're not sure if it's right or not. Because some smart person said, well, that's not actually true. 7,000 years old? 
I mean, they're finding stuff in rocks today, excavating things that go back to some age you can't pronounce or spell. They found a duck's bill in there or a tooth out of a pig. Or they found a collarbone laying in one of these and then there was some fish inside of a rock on the side of a mountain. And you know, these things are ancient. So what are you going to do about that, preacher? Here's what I'm going to do about it. When God created the world, he put all that stuff in the wall so ignorant people can remain ignorant. <laughs> yeah, he made all that. He put all the rocks in there and all that junk in there. He put all that stuff in there. They're discovering it. And I go, look what we're finding. Woo! And then you say, but that's not true. The Bible, <laughs> the Bible, the Bible, get you off of this holy one. Come down to earth. You're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. I hope I'm accused and guilty of that. I'm just saying, folks, that as he said here, beware. Listen to it again. If you like that heady stuff, beware, lest any man spoil you. Spoil means to rob and take away from you. Maybe your faith. Spoil you of your faith. Spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments, the ways of this world, the fundamentals of this world, and not after Christ. Let me give you a couple of translations. One of these is, had to be somebody that lives close by and not very old. Listen to this. This is good. Be careful not to let anyone rob you of this faith through a shallow and misleading philosophy. Such a person follows human traditions and the world's way of doing things rather than following Christ. Amen. Here's another one. See to it then that no one enslaves you by means of the worthless deceit of human wisdom, which comes from the teachings handed down by human beings and from the ruling spirits of the universe and not from Christ. And that is the truth. But... As Jeremiah said, my people love to have it so. They love human wisdom more than the wisdom of God. You have to wrestle with the wisdom of God. You're entertained with the wisdom of man. It's more of a fun thing. Also, in this discerning thing, in 2 Timothy 2, if you turn to that, we will attempt to close. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 16, shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is already past, and overthrow the faith of some who don't know how to check out what people are saying. Nevertheless, 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 the firm, solid, stable foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Then he begins to describe our walk. In a great house, there's good things and things we need to get rid of, and if man will get rid of those things, he will emerge in this walk as a useful vessel unto God. Otherwise, he's not. That's what he says. And in the second Timothy chapter four there, I think we read this a while ago, verse three, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but heap to themselves teachers. And verse four said, they will turn away from the truth and be turned unto fables. If we're not discerning, if you folks are not discerning, and if I'm not discerning, this can happen to us. 
Years ago, some so-called prophet with this amazing testimony came on the scene, saying some things that were wrong and people just, oh, no, man, this is a prophet of God. No, he's not. And no, he wasn't. And no, he isn't. And everybody just went haywire over that. I remember saying in those days, this will do more damage in the faith camp than anything has happened yet. And it did. It did. Most of those people since then have turned away, have turned aside. Therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, Peter wrote this. Beware, lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. That's 2 Peter 3, 7. Beware, lest error comes into your life, you begin to entertain falsehood, and it has the effect of turning you away from the truth. For the fourth time tonight, I've seen this happen. Fall from your steadfastness, from your stable position, and you fall away from that. It doesn't have to be. You have to be cautious. You have to be sober. You have to pay attention. Test every spirit that you hear. Read that word. What does the word say? Follow the word. Pray for the word. But don't be gullible. Not in this church or any church. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless these people tonight as they go their way, that there would be a working of your spirit in our lives, that as we come back, we'll come back differently than we came tonight, that we will come hungry, recognizing our need, our conscience will smite us saying, you need this, and we will begin to live and seek to do the right things. I ask you to bless these people that way in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen.